Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are talking about getting past no by William Uri, negotiating in difficult situations. Now, we did Getting to Yes about 12 months ago, which was this dude's first book, I believe, with another guy named Roger Fisher. They did it together. This one, he's just done it by himself. Yeah, he dropped right. Do you reckon there's a, there must be some kind of backstory there. There's a bit of beef in there. <laughs> some, mate, probably some ironically, kind of negotiation. Will, yeah, yeah, ironically, he didn't get past no William getting, yeah. getting him online. <laughs> but if you think about negotiation, our daily life is full of negotiations that can, can drive you crazy. Maybe it's you're having breakfast, you get into an argument with a spouse because... She wants to buy a new car, but you think it's maybe not quite the right time yet. Maybe you get to work for a meeting with your boss. You present her with this carefully prepared proposal for a new project, but she says, you know, interrupts within the first minute and said, sorry, mate, we've already tried that and it didn't work. Maybe during lunch, you try to return the defective toaster you bought last week, but you can't get a refund because that's the store policy. Maybe on your drive home, you hear about four masked robbers that held up a bank and they're currently holding hostages as leverage in a negotiation. That one's probably a little bit more extreme, but there's all these negotiations in our everyday life that can drive us crazy. So each of this face this every single day uh, and the other person might be the irritable spouse, the rigid salesperson, tricky customer, your boss or your teenager or anything like that. But under stress, even nice, reasonable people can turn into angry, intractable opponents. So negotiation can bog down or break down, consume your time, keep you awake up at night and really give you a whole bunch of ulcers. So getting to yes was focused largely about the... Uh, negotiation itself or the argument is in how do you uh, structure a negotiation with someone. This is more about the personal side of it, the interpersonal relationships within a negotiation. So, getting past no has a lot to do with things like how do you someone if they interrupt you? What if someone accuses you of being unreliable or untrustworthy? What if someone makes you feel guilty by asking for too much? What if they threaten you unless you give in and back down? These are all the types of things that we're going to be discussing in this book. So, getting to yes was about the argument itself. This is about the interpersonal side of it. Step one, don't react, go to the balcony. If you watch any negotiation or discussion, you'll see countless instances of people just reacting to each other without thinking. So, very quickly in terms of discussions, they're just reacting to what the other person has said. They're getting emotional. They're getting worked up. Very soon, you'll find that you're no longer talking about the substance of the issue and you're just talking about the other person and their reactions and what they've said. And uh, the most important thing that you should do in a negotiation is you need to control your own behavior so you don't react. So, as the book is getting past no, we're going to be dealing with a lot of tension in these negotiations because it's not just a streamlined yes and you're going. So, and this resistance might feel like you're being attacked and your instinctive reaction is to attack back or if they're taking a rigid and extreme stance, your retaliation is by doing the same. But striking back rarely advances your immediate interests and it actually just damages the long-term relationships and the odds of having success in these negotiations. Another common reaction is to give in. If your opponent succeeds in making you feel uncomfortable, a pretty natural reaction is to just sort of cower away a little bit, give in, let them have what they want, and you get over that immediate feeling of discomfort. And of course, giving in usually results in an unsatisfactory outcome for you. You're going to feel duped or you feel tricked or you're really rewarding your opponent for pretty bad behavior. And the third most common outcome is to just simply just break off ties with the other party if it's a marriage, you get a divorce. If it's a boss or a job, you quit. If it's a joint venture, you dissolve it. 
But this is obviously a bad strategy. Rather than working through the problem that you presented with the other person, you just give up altogether, which again is another form of serious weakness. Yeah, they're the three natural reactions. And in order to be a good negotiator, you need to really control those reactions because reacting like this is pretty dangerous. As we said, it's going to lead to uh, pretty poor outcomes for everyone involved. If if one person's just using their power and it just becomes an endless cycle of reactions, you're never going to get to a positive, mutually beneficial outcome. Recently at work, I've been disagreeing a lot with some pretty crazy person. He's a bit of a crazy scientist type, lovely person, but... Um, yeah, we disagree and it is a negotiation about how we can arrive at the best decision. But every time I do notice that my instant reaction is this pent-up feeling of anger and I'll just feel like striking back. So, you know, here we're going to the balcony, taking a step away from your your emotions so you don't fall into any of these three traps. What he says here is that you can unilaterally decide to break this cycle. So, by yourself without the help of the other party, you can break this cycle of reacting. If a negotiation falls into this reacting and reacting to each other, you can just decide to break it by not reacting. And that's what he calls going to the bell, giving some kind of time and space in order to get the negotiation back on track. So, when you're in that moment of tension during the negotiation, you pause and say nothing and you go to the balcony and you're really buying yourself time and rather than just giving in to your emotions, this is where we're dealing with a little bit of strategy. One cheeky way to buy time is what he calls rewind the tape. And so that could be something like if you're in the heat of a negotiation and you're just reacting to each other, you can sort of pause, say nothing, and then this is where you might say something like, okay, so I just want to make sure I've understood this properly to make sure I've wrapped my head around everything that's happened. So you're saying that ABC and then I'm thinking XYZ. And ultimately, this is where we want to head to destination Q. Mm. And so, like something like that where you've uh, said, really, you've said nothing there. You've just sort of recapped. You've given yourself time and space. They're going to probably jump in and correct a few things. But you're sort of getting things back on track by rewinding the tape and breaking that cycle of reactions. Now, we've bought that space. Some of the things we really need to do is shift our focus in certain directions. So, this was covered also in getting to yes. And the really big thing is to focus on interests instead of positions. So, one example, you might be in a salary negotiation and say you're the boss and you've got an employee and say she's going for a 10% pay rise and that might be the position and from there, you just go back and forth and you land, you know, somewhere between 5 and 10%. But where the interest is different, you think about what she, why she wants that 10% pay rise. It might be, you know, she wants that extra money so she can pay for the childcare, so she can spend more time with her kid or anything like that. Mm. So, if you understand their interests, what you can do then is say, all right, how about we let you work from home two days a week instead and then you're actually growing the pie because you're understanding the interests of both parties and you're increasing your overall options. Yeah, another example from getting to yes, they, they spoke about they spoke about you know two kids who are fighting over an orange. They end up chopping it in half and having half each. One kid eats the fruit and throws away the skin. The other kid uh, takes the skin to make some potpourri or bake a cake and then throws away the fruit. So because they were arguing over positions, they both wanted the orange and they decided let's just have half each. If they had have taken a step back and thought about their interests, one person could have had 100% of the fruit and the other could have had 100% of the skin. So, you need to focus on interests and you also need to identify your BATNA, which stands for your best alternative to negotiate agreement. So, what that means is that saying, okay, obviously, the ideal scenario, if everything goes favorably is you get 
the interests that you're hoping to get out of this negotiation. What your batner is, it's almost like your your fallback option that if for whatever reason negotiation breaks down and both parties walk away, your batner is what you're left with. If you're left with you know nothing, if maybe you're negotiating a pay rise and the batner there is that you quit and walk away and you're back to $0 income, that's a pretty bad batner. So, you need to have something uh, as your fallback option in case the negotiation doesn't go how you hope, then obviously the better your batner is, the more power you have in the negotiation. I think if there's any takeaway from both of William Murray's books, it is to actually develop and strengthen your batner. I think if there's one takeaway from William Murray's both books, it would be to develop and strengthen your batner in whatever your upcoming negotiations are. So, for a salary, the best thing you can do is every time you try and get poached or approached on LinkedIn or anything like that, always say yes to anyone like that. And even if you're not going to go with them, it's just a way of developing your own BATNA. And if you get to the point where you get an offer from a, another organization, then when you go to your negotiation uh, and you're in those moments where it's a bit of a tense moment and you go to the balcony and then you can rely and think back to your BATNA as a way of to strengthen your your position. I shouldn't say position because we're focused on interest, but you really are. I know what you mean, but that's like what it means is that, you know, if the person who's got the best batner probably needs the negotiation the least. If you if your fallback option is pretty close to just as good as uh, winning the negotiation, you're in a pretty good spot. And what that means is you've probably got more power and more leverage. Compare that to someone who doesn't have a strong batner, they really need the negotiation to go well. And that means they're probably going to make more and more concessions and they're probably going to give up a few more things in the negotiation in order to get the outcome. So, as a summary for this first step in the negotiation, don't react and don't fall into the natural reactions of striking back, giving in or breaking off. You need to go to the balcony and when you're just chilling out on the balcony, you need to focus on interests and not positions and then understand what your best alternative to negotiate an agreement is. Step two, disarm them, step to their side. Remember, there's a bit of tension sitting there when we're standing in front of a no and one of the mistakes we make is we try to reason with a person who's simply not receptive. So, your words are going to fall on deaf ears and be misconstrued. So, you're up against a barrier of emotion and the other side might be a little bit distrustful, they might be angry or they might feel a little bit threatened. Generally, people are convinced that they are right and you are wrong. They're probably unwilling to listen. And so, what you need to do is to rather than make this a combative thing where it's you versus your opponent, it's one side against the other, you need to make it more of a collaborative thing where you're both working together to get a mutually beneficial outcome. So, what he says a lot throughout this book is that the whole point isn't to win the negotiation in the sense where you win and they lose. The best thing that you can possibly do in a negotiation is both people get their interests satisfied. So, of course, the best way to do that is rather than fighting against each other, be on the same side working towards the same destination. I really like this book how it really deals with people's egos more than anything and that's what we're doing in this situation because we're just giving the other person a hearing and letting him know that they've been heard and you actually understand their position and are having empathy in these negotiation experiences. It's not enough to just simply listen. They actually need to know that you have heard what they said. So, what you can do is after they've heard after they've said their piece, you repeat it back to them and paraphrase it in the way that you understand and just get to the point that you know that they know that you fully understand them. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> they, that was a bit of a cryptic they, one, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it's important, obviously, for you know. Oh, fuck, I've, I've totally lost you about it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's very important for everyone to know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, a big part of that is. Mate, you paraphrase me a lot of bullshit there. <laughs> anyway. I'll try it loud and I failed the first time. An important part of this is acknowledging their point. Obviously, in their mind, they're 100% correct. So, if you go out there and try to attack that and try to tear it down, they're just going to get stronger in their beliefs. So, you need to acknowledge their point and wherever you can, agree. You know, agree without conceding your point. So, you need to say yes and you need to find these opportunities where you're both on the same page because if you can foster that sense or that feeling that you guys are working on the same thing together, that you've got the same point of view, it's going to be a much more productive negotiation. Yeah, Willie says you need to accumulate yeses. It's a real magical word in getting to agreement. So, in any way you can just like spruik the conversation just so they're saying yes, then you're on to a winner. So, at this stage, we've listened to them, we've given them a hearing and we're agreeing with them whenever we can. But eventually, we're going to start expressing our own views, but we need to frame it in a way that you're not provoking. So, never say but, actually say yes and. You need to make I statements and not you statements. You need to stand up for yourself and you need to acknowledge where your differences are, but with a sense of optimism that you can work through these differences. Step three, change the game. Don't reject, reframe. At this point, we need to do the opposite of what we feel that we would normally do in a negotiation. We need to treat our opponent like a partner, not an opponent. Instead of rejecting what they say, accept it and use it as an opportunity to reframe it back to talking about the problem itself. And instead of rejecting their position, then use that as a way to collect information about what they want. So, rather than just completely rejecting their position or completely accepting their position, use this as an opportunity to dig deeper to find the interests behind the position. So, now what we've done, rather than sit on the other side, opposite ends of the table, butting heads, you're now sitting on the same side of the table and you're both on a team searching for the answer to your problem. So, this is the favorable climate for negotiation and what we've done is change the frame and next we need to change the game. But the problem you're going to find is while you like to discuss each other's interests and how to satisfy them, the other side is still likely to insist on a position, right? And they might be digging in. For example, in a salary negotiation, they might say, I won't accept anything less than 10%. And since the other side's demand is seemingly unreasonable from your point of view, your natural temptation is to reject it out of hand and maybe get a little bit pent up as well. The important bit here about the reframing is that because... Uh you know, we've read the book and, or because you've listened to the podcast, but the other side probably hasn't. You know that it's all about interests, not positions. So, you sort of need to hold their hand a little bit and guide them to this new way of negotiating. So, no longer fighting over positions, but both working together on their interests. Now, I like what you said about the sitting on the table. I don't think you said explicitly, but I think actually physically sitting on the same side of the table would be a good way to get on the other person's side. Mm, I think that's uh, mixing in a little bit of was Barbara Pease's book. What was that? Mm, the body language one. The definitive book of body language. And I think that's uh, actually the sitting position on the table we actually sh- she speaks about. So, I think uh, it, it does sit well in this part of the episode. So, what Big Willie suggests is uh, digging a little deeper by asking some problem-solving questions. So, you know, once they've stated 
their position and they're sort of digging their heels in a bit and trying to hold firm on their position, you need to uh, probe a little bit by asking some of these questions like asking why, asking why not, asking what if, asking you know what makes that fair and probably most importantly is asking them for their advice as well. Yeah, and all those questions have something in common. It's like you're on a team, again, just searching to, to solve the problem. One thing William suggests is you need to utilize the power of silence, which comes up a lot. It is awkward having silence after a question. There's really something the other side is sitting there struggling with and they're mulling over their answer. So, in normal conversation, it's literally very uncomfortable. Mm. You just jump in, but you need to avoid that inclination and let that powerful silence and the uncomfortability just sink in for them. I think other people have used that on me in the past when, you know, I didn't I wasn't a good negotiator and they'd use the silence and I'd jump in because I didn't want to be rude to them, you know, and then kind of concede, which in hindsight was weak. Yeah, I've been uh, in some uh not super a little bit tense negotiations uh recently with a a marketing client discussing sort of contracts and expectations and stuff and I this guy's pretty switched on. I reckon he's probably learnt a few things like this because we're both in the silence battle. You know, we <laughs> probably both heard the thing that you know that uh, it was on the Wolf of Wall Street where he's like the first person to speak loses. So we've gone through multiple like fifteen second silence yeah. battles. <laughs> well, the awkwardness just compounds with the, the silence. Oh, so yeah. the awkwardness in those situations would just be very very odd. <laughs> Mate, it certainly is odd, but it is it is important, especially if things are a little bit tense and you throw out a, a probing question like this. It is going to be uncomfortable, but it is vital that you don't try to uh, jump in quickly to try and remove some of that discomfort. You just need to let it sit there and feel a little bit of the pain, but you're probably going to do better in the end. So, the whole point of this step is to change the game and reframe and whatever your opponent says and whatever you're, whatever you can say, you need to direct everything toward the problem and you're on the same side, on the same team trying to solve this issue. Step four, build a golden bridge. Make it easy to say yes. So, there's a quote here by the big war superstar, strategist Sun Tzu, build your opponent a golden bridge to retreat across. So this is where Big Willie is getting this uh, the title of this chapter from. So up until this stage, we've suspended our reactions, we've diffused the other side's emotions and we've reframed their position, but still, obviously, they may not agree. So you're going to be facing the barrier of their dissatisfaction and they'll be thinking, all right, it's all good for you, but what's in it for me? Yeah, this is the point of the negotiation where it feels like you're getting close but the opponent is going to be having a few obstacles pop up, a few barriers that is going to stop them from uh, coming to a final agreement. Some of these barriers might be a feeling that, okay, it's all well and good for you. You've come up with all this, but this wasn't really my idea. Or they might be thinking that some of their interests are still unmet. They might have a fear of losing face in front of whoever they have to report back to about this negotiation. Or they might just feel like it's moved too quickly. It's been too much too fast. And so, of course, rather than you applying pressure to try and push them across, instead, we want to be building a, a, a bridge from their side, which is nice and attractive, a, a pretty golden bridge to walk across together. So, most of us in these situations, we might be really frustrated by the other side's resistance and our temptation naturally is to push and apply pressure, but it really just makes them solidify what their position might be. So the other thing we need to do instead is we need to sit on their side again and rather than push them to an agreement, you need to do the opposite 
and start from their position and start heading in the direction of your position rather than starting in your own position. So, if one of the issues is that they feel like it's not their idea, then uh, an important weapon in your manipulation arsonry is to have uh, get them to feel like it's their idea. So, asking for their ideas, asking for their opinions, asking for their thoughts, reactions, feelings, and accepting all of those things and building upon them. So, you know, once you ask for an idea for them, you say, yeah, that's a great idea. What if we added this on top as well? So, it feels like it's a collaborative effort. So, obviously, one part of that is the idea that both sides are feeling hurt, but a big part of that is uh, the, the strategy and the tactic of getting them to feel like they're involved. So, we've landed on what their position is and, and we need to make it, again, feel like we're on the same team. So, you might say something like, building on your idea, what if we... And then dot, 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 you know, back to your direction. Oh, yeah. So, that's a good example of building the, the bridge. I think the biggest one is helping them save face. Uh, we keep falling back on the, the analogy or the situation where you're negotiating a salary. But in this case, if you're in a big corporate, your manager who you're directly dealing with, they might have a set budget from their direct boss and, you know, who and direction that maximum 10% pay rises this year. So, in that negotiation, it isn't about the about you two then and there. It's more about your boss's ego and how they look to their manager after they say, after they get asked how the negotiations actually went. So, in building a golden bridge in this example and helping them save face, you might let them have that 10%, which is going to make them let make them look good in front of their boss and instead you might inject a little bit, you know, like a, an extra couple of weeks holiday for the year which actually doesn't get brought up when your boss speaks to their boss in this one uh, arbitrary made-up situation. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make sense. It's uh, it's uh, letting them save face by getting what they want and but at the same time you are getting uh, some of your interests met as well. So, the importance of this bridge is to have this bridge that does overcome a lot of the barriers that they're still facing. So, you know, firstly, it means involving them in crafting the agreement. Secondly, it means looking beyond the obvious interests and delving a little bit deeper into some of the other intangible needs and interests that might not be met yet. Like, so maybe it's not just the money aspect of it. Maybe it's the feeling of recognition or a sense of autonomy. Thirdly, it means helping them save face you know, a way of backing away from their original position with, without feeling like they've lost. And lastly, it means, you know, going slow in order to go fast. So, you know, you don't have to sprint across the bridge. You can just take it step by step in order to get to the eventual destination. Step five, don't escalate, use power to educate. You might get to this point of the negotiation where you need to tap into this optional step. So, so far, we've, we've controlled our reactions and we've controlled their reactions. We've disarmed them by stepping to their side. We've reframed the game. You know, we've changed it so that it's not a battle. We're working together collaboratively. And we've built this golden bridge to get across by making it easy to say yes and knocking down a lot of the obstacles. But sometimes, despite all of our best efforts to, you know, form this perfect negotiation, the other side may still refuse to come to an agreement. So, in these positions, some people who uh, win-lose type of people, they might end up playing the power game. And with that, what you do is you threaten or try to coerce the other side and then, you know, you're hoping that they back down and then there's a bit of back and forth and then everyone just stubbornly sits their position. But there's another quote here by Sun Tzu, the superstar strategist. 
He says, To win 100 victories in 100 battles is not the acme of skill. To subdue your enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. So that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to resort to those power games and be combative with the other party. Yeah, that's an easy trap to fall into is if you you get to this point and you're so fed up that you've done everything so phenomenally and there's such a clear, obvious solution that both parties win, but they still don't want to get there. You might resort to the point of you know the power games and to try to force some kind of uh, favorable outcome, but what you might end up doing is you might win the battle but lose the war. So it's important at these final stages of negotiation that you're not sort of resorting back to the old tactics because you want to be building you know some kind of long-term thing. You want to have the door open for future positive collaborations with this with the opponent. We're actually going to be still using power but in the right way and we're going to be trying to educate them. And one way you can do this is ask reality testing questions. So you could just ask them, what do you think will happen if we don't agree? Or what are the costs of no agreement? So you're asking simple questions, but you're still putting yourself in quite a powerful position. Yeah, and it's almost like if you were to ask something like, oh, you know, what will you do if we don't go through with this? Or, you know, if this deal doesn't get over the line, what do you think I will do? It turns it back on them to truly think about it a little bit deeper. You know, if this negotiation falls through, what are the consequences here? And they, that's when their mind will start spinning to all the potential negatives that could come out of no agreement. And the other thing up until this point, we've been negotiating with our BATNA in the back of our mind, our best alternative to negotiate an agreement. And because it's in the back of the mind, if it's getting to that point where it's not going anywhere and if the other side is ignoring your questions and ignoring your seriousness, you need to be able to demonstrate your BATNA. So in this case, it might be simply you telling the other party, I'm sorry, but the way we're negotiating, it's not really going anywhere on a constructive outcome. Here's my phone number. Until then, I guess I'll have to just pursue my alternative. And that's a really powerful move as you walk outside and you're still keeping it amicable but you're really demonstrating a lot of power because of your BATNA. Yeah, and it is important to, that's why it is so vitally important to at the start have this this strong BATNA because if the worst case scenario is negotiation breaks down, you want to have something good to fall back on. Another important step here is to reaffirm the relationship. So even though this specific negotiation might be getting difficult, you don't want it to get to the point where it strains the relationship. So you don't want to leave the other side of the table with sour feelings. You want to make like you want to make them feel like everybody's done a good job. You know, we've got to the point where we can possibly get to maybe this time it's not going to work out, but you want to be leaving the door ajar. You don't want to be slamming the door shut to any future possible collaborations. So it's a very good book, man. It packs a lot of value for how short it is and we do recommend that everyone buys it and I think you are, at some stage if you implement any of this in a negotiation it uh, pays for the book and the time you spent doing it in a very big way. Yeah, I know he does at the start of this book say that you can read you know, this book without reading the other and you certainly can. I, th- I think do both, you know, getting to yes and getting past no, I think they both work phenomenally hand in hand. It's probably worth reading reading both, I'd say, and that's uh, you're going to put yourself well and truly above the average negotiator who hasn't taken any time to think about these sorts of things. So in this book, we explored what happens when the other side's a bit of a stone wall and a bit bit of a the doctor no. So the first thing we need to do is to go to the balcony. When there's that resistance and tension in a negotiation, you're going to let your emotions kind of subside a little bit when you go to the balcony. And from there, we're going to look at the interests that the other person has and uh, use our empathy as much as we can. And also think back to our best alternative negotiate, negotiate an agreement, which 
hopefully up until this point, we already have developed and just sitting there on the sideline. Step two was to step to their side. So, of course, before we can negotiate effectively, we need to have a favorable climate. We need to defuse any of the anger, suspicion, fear, or hostility that came from those initial reactions back in step one. And now what we need to do is rather than attack or resist, we need to let them know that we acknowledge them, we understand them, we agree with them wherever we can, and we need to transform this from a combative type of negotiation to a collaborative type of negotiation. You're not sitting across the table from each other. You're actually sitting on the same side, facing the same direction, working towards the same final agreement. Step three is reframe. So instead of rejecting what they've said, accept it and reframe it as, a, as an opportunity to talk about the problem and you're sitting on the same side and we're focusing right now on the problem rather than the, both of your positions. Step four was to build a golden bridge. Of course, there's going to be some kind of a chasm from where you currently are to where you both want to go, and that's the difference in your positions. What we need to be doing is to be building a golden bridge that combats a lot of these obstacles that they still might face, and then by taking it slowly, step by step across the golden bridge, uh, both parties get to a point where it's not victory for either side, it's mutually satisfactory for both parties. So hopefully at this stage, that's all you need. You're both partied and you walked lovely with hands held together along the bridge. But a few of those doctor knows out there, they're still going to be pretty hard lined. And this is where we need step five, where we're using power to educate. So we're keeping the swords in the pocket and we're not using it against them. But with our power, we're asking reality testing questions. We're demonstrating our BATNA and letting them know that we're quite serious about it. And also, the whole time, we're letting, know, letting them know that the Golden Bridge is just sitting there and uh, always ready for them to cross. 